This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Brothers and sisters in Islam, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Welcome back today. You ready to go back in time? Insha'Allah. We go back in time to learn about our time today. Stories of the Prophets. Today is part three of the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And today, if I have time, insha'Allah, I intend to finish off the last part of the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, which will take me. And in, in that time, it's a bit difficult to put it all together in like a story way because the Quran puts it in that way where there's three Prophets at one time. The Prophet ﷺ, Ibrahim, we have to talk about him. While Ismail ﷺ is in the same time doing his own thing. And Ishaq ﷺ is going to come and is going to be doing his own thing. And then there's a fourth Prophet, Lut ﷺ, he's doing another thing. All of it is happening almost at the same time. So I'm trying my best to put it all together. We'll just go with the flow. You can sail with me in the boat, okay? Any direction we go. You come along with me. We all agree, inshallah. Good, alhamdulillah. Tayyip, just to recap about last time, very quickly. Last week, I spoke in detail and explanation. So I'm not going to repeat it again. For those who need to know more detail, should go back to last week's lecture. But we spoke in detail about the sacrifice that Allah told Ibrahim salam to do in, in slaughtering his son, Ismail salam. We spoke about the whole story about how it happened. Today, inshallah, I'll recap a little bit with bits and pieces that just bring it together, inshallah. Uh, and a few other advices I gave. So, Ibrahim alayhi salam was about 86 years old or so. Now, that, that age, 86 years old, is not from the Quran or the Hadith. This is from biblical verses, Israelite verses. But what the Quran says is that he was old in age. Because he said, Alhamdulillah, wahaba Ali ala al-kibari Ismail wa Ishaq. I praise be to Allah who has given me Ismail and then Ishaq while I was in old age. So we presume he was over 80 years old. His wife Sarah could not have babies. She was barren and by this time she was in her 70s. Except his wife Hajar she was younger than both of them and she had a son Ismail. Ibrahim salam, saw a dream of slaughtering his son, it was Ismail. Some narrations say it's Ishaq. Some scholars, even modern day scholars today, but now it's a minority, would tell you that it's his son Ishaq who, got, who was put to slaughter, although he didn't get slaughtered of course. Look back on my last week's lecture. But the correct opinion, without a doubt, is Ismail salam, who was the one put to slaughter. It's no big deal who it was, Ismail or Ishaq. No big deal, unless we want to make a big deal about it. So, avoid argumentation. However, I will tell you that the verses of the Qur'an, if you follow them in their chronological order, in their context, you, there will be no doubt that it was Ismail salam that was the one put to slaughter. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the whole story in several parts in the Qur'an. One of them in Surah Al-Safat, it talks in detail, subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the slaughter of his son Ismail. He doesn't mention his name Ismail, but he mentions his son, right? His son who had reached puberty, his son who had reached an age where he can work with his father, where he can do the stuff that adults do. 
and is presumably uh, thought to be at the puberty age. Ibrahim alayhi salam went to his son and he told him, I'm going to slaughter you, what do you think? Well, after the whole story happens, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then concludes the story in the end and he says, وَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِإِسْحَاقَ نَبِيًّا مِّنَ الصَّالِحِينَ And we gave him the good news of Isaac, Ishaq, a prophet and among the righteous ones. So if you follow the story, and Allah is telling him the same verses, the same surah, it's going one by one, and then the verse, verses end, and Allah praises Ibrahim السلام, and his son, and he says, this is how we reward the good doers. This is, he is truly one of our great believers. This is the true test that we gave him and his son. And then immediately Allah says, and we gave him good news of a son named Ishaq. So it's, it's weird that some historians, they guess it. They just make a guess, an intellectual guess, educational guess that it was Ishaq. But really, they have no evidence from the Quran and Sunnah. Therefore, it is Ismail salam, and Ishaq was born later on. There was one thing a brother asked me, he said, okay, well, there was this story about when, when Ibrahim brought his son Ismail to slaughter him and he placed him onto the boulder and so on. Uh, when the sheep came down, the ram from Jannah, the sheep came down and they both saw him behind with Jibril salam. And some Mufassirun, especially modern day scholars, they tell us that Ismail salam was on the boulder and then suddenly Ibrahim looks down and he sees a sheep in his place, a ram in his place. Because Allah says, And we ransomed him or exchanged him with a great slaughter, a great sacrifice. All right, when we exchanged him. So some scholars say that. Allahu alam, which one is true? Miracles happen from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time and he can do all these things with his prophets. Whichever one is true. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ransomed him and the whole the bigger message that we have to get out of it is the uthiyah that we do today, its purpose and what it means, what it means to be a Muslim, and that is to submit ourselves to whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered. We accept it. Even if you can't practice it, you accept it. Even if some things you can't fulfill them because of whatever circumstances, maybe the country you live in has different laws which prevent you from practicing certain things. Uh, maybe you're sick, ill, maybe you don't know. Whatever the reason is. You accept what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe in what He says and practice as much as you can of it. But Islam means to fully submit and surrender to Allah so that when you slaughter that sheep in Uthiyah, it makes a statement. You are saying, Oh Allah, I am ready. This is my this is my message, this is my response to you, that I am ready to respond and obey you, O oh Allah, in anything that you order. Anything. Because you are the most knowledgeable and you know everything and you are the creator of the universe. Who am I? This feeble little tiny speck of a 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 speck. An infinite speck compared to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and what this universe is, subhanAllah. Allah is above and beyond that. <laughs> How can we ever, Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Kahf, قُلْ لَوْ كَانَ الْبَحْرُ مِدَادًا لِكَلِمَاتِ رَبِّي say, if, say, O Muhammad, say if all the oceans of the earth were turned into ink, for my Lord to write with his knowledge, to write his knowledge. Imagine all the seven seas, all the oceans of the, of the earth were turned into ink. And you wrote with that ink, the knowledge of Allah. The oceans would have dried out, gone, finished. 
not dried out, they would have gone because he used them up. Before my Lord's knowledge and words diminish in the least. Even if we brought another set of oceans like them and made them ink again to continue to write, still they will vanish again and Allah's words and his knowledge still won't vanish. So what are we talking about, man? Who are we compared to Allah's knowledge? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us these things and tells us so many things and it would be very foolish of us not to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's orders when they are clear. They are clear. So we obey them because he knows what's best for us. And he's the one that created us, obviously. Muslim means to submit and surrender because you believe that he knows it all and he is true. Another meaning for Muslim that completes you is this. Prophet I just thought I'll say this. He said, do you know what a Muslim is? And I said, Allah and his messenger know best. He said, A Muslim. Because the word Muslim is derived from the root word, security, peace, security and peace. A Muslim is the one whose tongue and his hands people are secure of, are secure from. You don't harm people with your hands and with your tongue. You don't oppress them. And the hadith says, An-Nas, the hadith is in Ibn Majah, Sahih. All people, Muslim, non-Muslim, even creatures, all creatures. And then he said, do you know what a mu'min is? A mu'min is derived from the root word aman, which means to be at security. So Muslim, uh, a person who is at security and provides security. And mu'min is a higher level. It's when you absolutely feel security. And he says, they are the ones whom people can trust them with their wealth and their honor, themselves and their wealth. You know, someone points says, who can look after my money? Who can I deal with in business that I can trust? And every... And Anyone you ask, they'll tell you that person, that same person, that same person. Know that if somebody points, people point to you as a reputation of security and trust, then this is a sign from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you are a special person on earth. So that's what a mu'min is. And then he said, mujahid, and the one who does jihad is the one who does jihad, who is the one who strives against himself by continuing to do acts of righteousness. To continue to do that and push yourself and struggle and strive to continue to be patient to do acts of good deeds. This is a mujahid. He said, muhajir and the one who truly is a true great migrant, man hajara al He is the one who migrates away from sins and past bad habits. You never return back to them again. And if you do, you repent again. So now we return back to this. Is Ibrahim salam Ismail are the symbols of Islam. And he is the one who named us Muslimin before Muhammad Allah said in the Quran, It is Ibrahim who called you Muslims from the beginning. And truly has the right to name us that name because he is the hero, the role model. The, he is the emblem, the symbol of true Islam. Of true Islam. My brothers and sisters in Islam, then we talked about the angels we left Ismail where he is for a minute. We came back. In the meantime, Ibrahim returned back to Palestine where he lived in Jerusalem approximately around there. And angels came to Ibrahim. We also talked about this last week. So I'm not going to go into detail again. But the angels came to him in the form of extremely superhuman, extremely beautiful men. When you looked at them, you know they're not 
they're higher than humans. Angels, they always used to come in such a form. But this form that they came to him with, Ibrahim salam couldn't recognize it. They came in a different form. It was Jibreel, Mikael, and Israfil, alayhim salam They knocked on his door, he opened, and as they entered, they didn't even ask permission to enter. As they entered, they said salam. Ancient greeting used to be salam. It is the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, who was taught to say the full word Assalamu Alaikum. This was given to the Ummah, this Ummah, us, inshallah. Before that, they used to say salam, peace. Similar meaning. They said salam, and he replied, Salamun, qawmun munkarun. Salamun, we talked about the Arabic linguistics here. Salamun is a more honorable greeting than salaman. Salaman is more general, salamun is specific, and this teaches us that when someone greets you, you must greet them with an equal greeting or better. You can't go less. He didn't even know they're Muslim, not Muslim, who they are, but they greeted him, and it is part of the etiquette of a Muslim to reply the greeting with something better. Qawman Munkarun, I don't know who you are in a pleasant way. Oh, it's like I'm asking you who are you, but without being rude. Oh, Salam, peace be upon you, people who uh, we haven't had the acquaintance of. And they didn't introduce themselves either. So he just went and grabbed a nice calf and he prepared it and cooked it, came back and made a meal for them, which shows us that we are supposed to be very generous to the guests and hospitable. Hospitable people is a, one of the core aspects of our deen, which Alhamdulillah, Ya Rabbi. It's one of the only things, basically, you can count how many things the Muslims today still have really strongly, and that's hospitality, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, ya If we lose that, it means that's it. We don't even deserve to be Arab. Just Allahu Akbar. Brothers and sisters in Islam, these angels, they started to act like they were eating, and Ibrahim noticed they were not putting the food in their mouth. And that's when he knew they were angels. The word used is nakirahum, meaning nakira is different than the other one I said, Munkarun, for those of you who know Arabic, Munkar means I don't know you. Nakir means I know you, but I'm not comfortable around you. I'm not comfortable with what you're doing. So he knew they were angels, and then he was not comfortable with what they were, what they, he was not, he was not comfortable with their presence. Why? Because he knows angels coming suddenly like that in a different form to him, to what he knows, is not good news. Have they come to punish someone? And immediately he, Allah says, خِيفَة, He actually became scared of them. He became frightened. Not frightened from the angels, frightened from why they have come. He thought maybe someone in his family has done something wrong and he's going to be punished now. Now prophets always assume well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But angels coming not known like that, that's what it meant. That's what it meant. It's like having, for example, uh, you're living on a farm and some stranger comes along with a gun and points it straight at you. You don't know the guy and he gets scared, right? Because the gun means gun to kill you. And then he shoots the gun. What he's actually shooting was a snake that was about to bite you at the back, let's say. Ends up being a nice man, right? These angels came, yes, they came with some bad news from Allah, but not for Ibrahim So then immediately they told him, لا تخف, Don't be afraid, Ibrahim. 
inna rusulu rabbik we are messengers from your lord ila and another verse inna ursilna ila qawmi lut they didn't say inna rusulu rabbik i'm sorry they immediately says inna ursilna ila qawmi lut we have been sent to the people of lot which means that ibrahim alayhisalam knew who they were and then they just told him don't be afraid we're not coming for you we have been sent to the people of lot people of lot were known as the name the people of sodom in the ancient hebrew text the torah the uh, old testament they're called sodom and gomorrah two tribes that lived in about seven cities around the dead sea the dead sea is very ancient takes back allah uh, 300,000 years in a place in between jordan and palestine so they said we have been sent to the people of lord and his his wife and we gave him good news that he's going to have another son and his wife sarah was standing there so she laughed what did she laugh about she laughed that she was happy that god had now come to deal with the people of lot because of the corruption that they had spread with their actions it was it's somehow for tens of, of years their news had gone out and they were causing corruption a lot and we'll talk about that in a minute inshallah obviously there was harm to people and they were affecting other people so she was happy about that and then we gave her good news that you will have Ishaq. And also after Ishaq, a grandson named Yaqub. Allah gave them their names and told her you will have a son and a grandson. What does it mean? It means you're going to live longer. Not only to see your son grow, but you're also going to see your grandson, Yaqub, Jacob. For how long? Allah. And she screamed, saying, Ya Waylata, oh woe to me. How can I have a baby when I am barren? I can't even have babies even when I was younger. Ajuz. And I'm old. Ajuz and Aqim, barren and old, too old. I'm a senior citizen. I'm 70 years old, over 70. I can't have babies. Past menopause. What are you talking about? And another verse she says, This is outrageous this is like really amazing and they said you're amazed by what Allah can do no no Allah can do anything same as what he said about Jesus Christ that he was born from a mother without a father from a virgin Mary Maryam Allah says, as a matter of fact, if Allah just wants something, all he has to say is be, and it becomes. My brothers and sisters, and so the angels, when they said all that stuff, Ibrahim salam was concerned. Like they gave him the news of a son, but his wife was more happier. And he was still thinking. What was he thinking about? He was very, very worried. He was worried about the angels going to destroy the people of Lut. 
He didn't want them to destroy them. It's actually in the Quran. Allah says, فَلَمَّا ذَهَبَ عَنْ إِبْرَاهِيمَ الرَّوْعُ وَجَاءَتْهُ الْبُشْرَى Thus when fear had left Ibrahim, about the angels, and the good news had been conveyed to him of a son, then what? يُجَادِلُنَا فِي قَوْمِ He began to dispute with us concerning the people of Lut. What dispute? Dispute is not argumentation here. Uh, dispute in Arabic, jadal, has a good type and a bad type. The good type is when you present some important facts and arguments to persuade someone that you think there's a better, that you know, there's something that they need to know about. So he's speaking to the angels, not speaking to Allah. And he as a human being, he likes to make sure that he understands everything. You know, some people, how do they learn? Some people learn by asking you a question. Isn't that correct? They ask you and you, and you, you tell them the answer. However, other people, they learn the other way around. They learn by challenging you with questions. But what they're actually doing is to see, they're actually challenging their own, their own thoughts. If you, can, if you can answer those thoughts that he can't answer himself or she can't answer, you've got his answer, you've convinced. So that's why I say to you, don't get angry or emotional when somebody challenges you or debates you or opposes you with something. They're all learning. And if he doesn't want to learn, he just wants to debate an argument, then that's the haram, that's the bad argument. But they're not really giving you any substance, nothing. And that's a person after you've given your hujja, your argument. You just turn away and say, look, I think we're going to end this conversation. So Ibrahim was questioning and giving some, you know, some, some facts there to understand himself and just to make sure that you know, the angels are doing the right thing. So Ibrahim said in another verse in the Quran, like, Lut is there. Like, you're going to go and destroy the people, but Lut is there, my nephew. He's his nephew, according to the biblical scripture, but he was his family and he was a prophet. Like, he was concerned that the angels, okay. He said to them, like, just give him some chance, give him a time, give him some, you know, they'll, they'll turn around, they'll fix themselves, just give him time. You know, Lut is there, alayhi salam, give him time, he's doing a good job, just give him more time as well, right? And then they said to him, don't worry. We will save. In another, there's a hadith that says that Ibrahim said to them, Will you destroy a people and there are righteous people among them? Like, I mean, once you, there's righteous people among them, you destroy everybody, the righteous and the non righteous go. And they said, Don't worry. What are you afraid of? He said, Well, Lot is there. They said, We're going to save him and his family. He's not going to be under the punishment. Subhanallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala immediately after talking about how he disputed and tried to convince them to give them more time. Because you know, look, a prophet and you even, you can call out to Allah and say, Oh Allah, whatever qadr that you have brought down that you've decreed, change it please for the sake of the creatures and for the sake of the babies and for the sake of the pregnant women and for the sake of the elderly and for the sake of this and for... You're allowed to say that. And even the hadith of the Prophet which is sahih, in, 
it's Sahih, I forgot the reference, but he said, Nothing can change Qadr except for Dua. But then you might say, well, Allah knew that you're going to make the Dua, so that's Qadr itself. So Qadr is changing Qadr. So you're allowed to make Dua and say, oh Allah, if you're bringing down a Qadr, something that's going to happen, please water off me. Muhammad used to always say stuff like that. It's good to say that. Oh Allah, whatever decree you have brought down, if it's going to be harmful to me, please water off me or minimize it or make me handle it. In fact, in other hadiths, Sahih hadiths in Sahih Muslim and Bukhari, Allah SWT talks about the Qadr coming down from the heavens and uh, your dua going up, then they meet halfway and they start wrestling until the day of judgment. If your dua is stronger, it repels it. If the Qadr is a bit stronger than your dua, if dua didn't come out very strongly, it comes down but weaker than what it's meant to be. All of this, scholars have talked about it for a very long time. Anyway, brothers and sisters, so Ibrahim Aysan didn't do anything wrong. That's all I'm trying to say, Yahya so they said, Allah said after he did that, Allah acknowledged, acknowledged Ibrahim alayhi salam's plea. He said, Inna Ibrahim mubeen. <laughs> Allah is saying, surely Ibrahim was forbearing, tender-hearted, and oft turning to Allah. Ibrahim salam is asking the angels, please give them time. Let them, you know, repent. Maybe they'll get better. Give them time. Don't go and do it. And Allah says, Ibrahim truly is a kind-hearted, tender-hearted person. Allah, oh, don't. Just don't do it. It teaches you about his personality. Yes, he was vocal and upfront. He wasn't two-faced. But opposite to that was he was so tender-hearted. He never wanted harm on anybody. But Allah knew that these people, nothing was going to change them. Allah knows His creation. He knows when somebody has reached a point where there is no more medicine for them. It's when somebody turns into an, a being that deliberately and chooses to be of an evil nature. That's it. Like Iblis, the shaitan, Iblis. He knows Allah, he knows Jannah, he knows Hellfire, he knows Day of Judgment. He knows all of that more than me and you. And he lived through the thousands of years of all the prophets. He was up there, at least. But there's no cure for him. Why? He chose to be like that. So when somebody chooses to be and do a certain thing, it gets to a point where Allah knows it's irreversible. There are people who come like that. SubhanAllah, I don't know. Only Allah knows them. We, we don't have the right to judge who they are. But when Allah brings down a punishment, it's His business. It's not our business. It's His business. We don't say, oh, Allah destroyed these people, so we're going to go out now and always destroy them. That's Allah's business. It's not ours. The Prophet's business is to try to do everything they can to stop Allah's decree, from, from, stop them from earning Allah's punishment. The Prophets. That's it. And Allah knows everything. He knows. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Allah said in the Quran that the angels then said to Ibrahim, Ya Ibrahim, a'rad an hadha. Thereupon our angels said to him, O Ibrahim, desist from this. Stop it. Don't argue any more about it. For indeed your Lord's command has come. And the chastisement, a punishment which cannot be averted, is about to befall them. Tell us, this is Allah's knowledge and decree. There's no need to explain it any further. It's like going to a doctor who is specialist in neurology. 
right? Or a cardiac surgeon specialized in, 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 in pathogens of I don't know what. And he gives you a medicine. He says to you, take this and take that, or do this or do that. Imagine you sitting there and asking him about all the compositions, chemical compositions of the medicine and the treatment that he's giving you. And he starts and gives you all these drib gibberish words. So you don't get to benefit you at all. So you just say, look, I trust. He's knowledgeable. He knows everything. So that's a human being. Imagine. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows more than us. Anyway, so the angels got up and they left. We'll leave them there for a minute. The angels are on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, a place which is now called Jordan and Palestine, a mix of the two. Sarah has a baby. She was approximately 80 years old. Allahu Akbar. Obviously, she named him Ishaq. There's not much said about Ishaq in the Quran and Hadiths. But if you read the historical book called Al-Bidayah wa Nihayah, man, the stuff that's said there is just, it just doesn't make sense at all. It's just too much. Sometimes you read history books written by ancient scholars. Some of them, what they do is they just bring you whatever they've collected. But it doesn't mean that they say to you it's authentic. So I just want you to make sure of that. So I'm glad this particular part is not translated because it's just some stuff they bring from anything like ancient scriptures, uh, scrolls, um, scribes that have said things, ancient, the Bible, the Torah, things. They just bring all this stuff. And it says a lot of stuff about Ishaq and it just, none of it, is, none of it is, is, is referenced. None of it, just don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense. But all I can tell you is what the Quran and whatever we know from Hadith say about Ishaq Allah says, And we gave Ibrahim Ishaq a prophet from among the righteous. And we blessed him and blessed Ishaq and everything around him. We also blessed Ishaq and Ibrahim's offspring. So we blessed Ibrahim, he's the father of Ishaq, and Ishaq's offspring. All of the children, the, the children of Israel, who are who later on became, today now the Jews, and some of them who became Christians. But then Allah says, and from among their offspring, not all of them, we have blessed. And among the offspring of Ishaq are going to be children of the future who are wrongdoers. Clear wrongdoers, Mubin, clear wrongdoers. And this is to tell us that not all of the offspring of Ishaq are blessed. Not all of them are righteous. Some of them are righteous, the children of Israel, and some of them were non righteous. And from Ishaq came Yaqub, from Yaqub came which son? Yusuf alayhi salam. We'll come to his story, but I just want to say this. Never in the history, nowhere in the Quran is there ever a mention of that many prophets born from each other. Father, son, father, son, father, son. Except for these prophets. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, Muhammad ﷺ said in Sahih Bukhari, Huwa, about Yusuf Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem, Ibn Al-Kareem. He is the blessed, son of the blessed, son of the blessed, son of the blessed. Yusuf, the son of Yaqub, the son of Ishaq, 
the son of Ibrahim. Four prophets, messengers, not just prophets, messengers after each other. And so they have a special place, subhanAllah. And from them came all the rest of the prophets that we hear about. Right up to Jesus Christ and Yahya, John and Zechariah, all of them. Ilyasa, all that we're going to talk about. So we're going to leave now Ishaq there. We're now going to go back to Mecca. What's happening now with Ismail salam? Ismail is in Mecca. His father Ibrahim salam is going and coming. He would go and visit. And the narrations say, Allahu Alam, about the authenticity, but it's true that the prophets always had a vehicle which they rode on. It was called Al-Buraq. Have heard of Al-Buraq? Al-Buraq. It's in Nahas. So it's in the seerah of the Prophet Bukhari and Muslim, but the Prophet when he ascended to the heavens, it's called Al-Buraq. A creature that is bigger than a mule, smaller than a horse, with wings on its hind back or its hips. This Buraq, it is said that he used to take Ibrahim salam from Jerusalem, Palestine, all the way to modern-day Mecca to visit his wife Hajar and his son Ismail. Some say on a weekly basis, some say every two weeks or so. Go and come, go and come, regular visits. And I found this interesting hadith, which is Sahih, in Sahih Bukhari, that he went one day and he found Ismail alayhi salam, he had married one of the women of Jurhum, of the Arabs. And uh, he asked, he visited and he found her there. He, she didn't know who he was because she hadn't met him yet, Ibrahim. And he asked, where's Ismail? And she said to him, oh, he's out hunting. He used to, as I said, hunt for horses and tame them. So he asked her, how is, how is life? Sorry, she said, he's out hunting and providing for our family. Sorry, he's working and providing for our family. He said, how's your life? How's your livelihood? And she said, Allahi, it's miserable. It's terrible. We've got nothing. People are better off than us. I'm just, you know, I'm just so depressed at this life. You know, I just want more, blah, blah, blah. She kept on complaining about the livelihood. So, she said, well, okay. And then he ended up wanting to go, Ibrahim alayhi salam. And uh, he said to her, give my salams to Ismail and tell him to change um, it's an Arabic statement to change the corner of his door. What's it called the, in English? Huh? What? Doorstep. Is the doorstep? No, no, not the doorstep. Something that belongs to the door. Doorstep, something, I don't know what it is. But it's an Arab statement and also an Israeli statement. What it meant was. I advise you to divorce this wife. Don't keep her. She's not good for you. She's negative. She's not grateful. You're going to have a rough time with her. If you have children from this wife, she's trying to say, you have children from her, she's going to raise them to be selfish, obnoxious beings. Spoiled, whatever. We have to be grateful people. I'm not my, you know, our progeny, we're prophets. We need to have people who are standing as role models, not just selfish people. So when he came back, she told him an old man came to visit you and whatever. And he says, okay, what did he say? She said, oh, she, she said a strange, strange. It wasn't the Arabs, sorry. The Arabs didn't have that statement. They had it, the Israelis. And she said, um, he said to change the 
that door thing. And he said, well, that was my father, old man, and he told me to divorce you. Now, it was a form of advice and command. Like, Ibrahim salam, when he said something, you know, his son knows that he's a prophet. Prophets don't just say something like that. When they say something, you'd be a fool not to listen to them because they've advised you the best advice. He knew she is big trouble for him. He said he told me to divorce you and I'm going to divorce you so he let her go. Now some people might think, oh that's cruel, oh blah blah blah. No, no, no. Put it in context. She was an ungrateful, selfish woman. And she was a negative person. Like, it, it, it was terribly negative, terribly selfish. And Ibrahim salam would not want his son to divorce his wife at all. But he can see this is a family, this is children, this is raising, it's big responsibility. And the mother is most often with the children. So a mother who teaches her children to be spoiled and selfish and everything's about them, the world revolves around them, is not a good mother. Or a father who does that. So he divorced her and married another woman. And Ibrahim on his another visit met her, same thing happened. And he asked her, how are you? And she said, Alhamdulillah, we are in great blessings. I can't ask for more. We are fine. We don't need anything. We have everything we need. And he says, tell him my salams and tell him to keep the door thing. <laughs> we'll go by Jamal, the doorstep. You know, it's a nice one to say the doorstep. It means like, it, either, it can mean good or bad. It means that he steps on his wife, which is not good. I don't think that's what it means. That's why I don't want to go with the doorstep, Jamal. That's you. Everyone blame him if it's wrong, all right? Habib Albi. Jamal, when I grow up, I'm going to just like him. Now, if it was a doorstep, it means that she's a support. So change the support. that, And also the door means privacy, intimacy, protection, covering, support, security. And in the Arab world, the door symbolizes security, protection, privacy, Comfort, and that's what the wife is. The wife is comfort, security, support for her husband, and his husband is to her like that. We call the husband a pillar, pillar of the house, and she's like the covering, the support, security. He said, keep it. And when he returned, she told him that the old man came along and said this. He said, that was my father, and he told me to keep you. You're a good wife. Alhamdulillah. So my brothers and sisters, now don't take that as a fiqh. Fatwa. Don't take it as a fatwa that if your father tells you divorce your wife, you listen to him. Or you can tell your children divorce your wife. He was a messenger of Allah. And he didn't need to give the reason because Ismail knows Ibrahim is a patient, tender-hearted man. And he is full of wisdom beyond measure. And he wouldn't have said it unless there was a 100% good reason. As for us, if we don't think so, we can advise our children. We can give them our guidance. And I advise brothers and sisters, the young ones especially, even the older ones, my age, always seek the advice of your parents. Even if you disagree with something they say, that's fine, you can disagree. Stay respectful. 
But some, it's good to take their advice, unless you know your parents are just, you know, like, it's rare to find some parents are really just, they're not, not, good, not good at all. But majority, we're talking generally speaking, our parents do have, they've had more experience, more wisdom than us. But I was talking to some students at the school and, and they're only in year nine and asking me about relationships and boys and girls and everything. And I started to explain all this stuff and it made so much sense to them. We went on for half an hour. And now their jaw dropped at the amount of stuff I knew. Like, I go, why are you so surprised? They go, we didn't think you older people know all this stuff. I didn't know what to be sorry about that called me old. Because I don't think, I feel like I'm 20, mate. And then, or the fact that they actually don't think that we have been, we're double their life. We've been through it all, man. We've been through it all. And they think we don't know anything. Poor kids. So I said, of course we know it. Your parents have been there, done it. I was just embarrassed to tell you all this stuff. So sometimes our parents do the wrong thing, but they do know. They learn from their mistakes as well. So seek their advice as much as you can. Brothers and sisters in Islam, let's move on. Ismail grows up over there and then Hajar dies at the, about the age of 70. And Ibrahim becomes saddened for her loss. And Sarah lives on. Sarah lives on till about 120 years. This is according to biblical um, knowledge. And Ismail grows and stays in Mecca and dies in Mecca and was buried in Mecca. But before he died, Hajar had died, and now he's got a new wife. Ibrahim comes along to Ismail one day, and he says to him, I have been commanded, my son, to do something. Will you help me? We see this again now. The father having a conversation with his son before carrying it out. Will you help me? Son, without any hesitation, says, Dad. He didn't say, yes, I'll help you. Listen to what he said. Dad, do what you've been commanded. So that tells us Ismail is extremely knowledgeable and wise. Instead of saying, yes, I'll help you, he said he knew that Allah had commanded him to do that. He said, Allah has commanded me to build a house of his on earth. And it will be the symbol of Tawheed till for the end of time for all of our offspring. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him to build the Kaaba. And there are long verses in Surah Al-Baqarah and others and Surah Ibrahim. When, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to build the Kaaba, uh, he said to him, I am going to make you, O Ibrahim, an Imam, a leader of all people and nations to come. Allah, that's how much you honored Ibrahim. I'm going to make you the leader of all nations and people to come. And truly, ask any religion, they all believe in Ibrahim and respect him and honor him. Especially Jews and Christians and Muslims. I'm going to make you an Imam for all people. But Allah then said, as for the wrongdoers, they will not receive this gift of mine. They won't be leaders. And Allah didn't accept the wrongdoers. Ibrahim first said, When he heard that Allah is going to make him a leader of all people, Ibrahim said, Oh Allah, and will you make from among my children imams like me for the people? 
Ibrahim is asking Allah to make his children Imams. And Allah replies by saying, mm, My promise does not embrace the wrongdoers though. He didn't say yes, but he didn't say no. All he said was, the wrongdoers will not. In other words, there will be among your offspring, Ibrahim, more wicked people, unfortunately. There will be more. But the answer is yes. There will be imams from among your people, from your children. So then Ibrahim went and started building the Kaaba. And as he is building, he remembers the dua that he made. He wants more of his children to be imams and all that stuff. So then he says, Oh Allah, make this land secure, secure and provide those of its people that believe in Allah and the last day with fruits for sustenance. Allah answered, and I shall still provide him who disbelieves with all of that stuff for this short life. And then I shall drive him to chastisement of the fire. That is an evil end. Again, Ibrahim salam is trying to, so he didn't get, he said, I asked, make imams among my children. And he understood that there's going to be a lot of wrongdoers. So he goes, all right, I'm not going to get many imams. Let me ask Allah for something else. Oh Allah, at least in this world, let even my children who are wrongdoers enjoy the blessings. And Allah said, okay, I'll give even the wrongdoers only in this life, but, but in the hereafter, if they deserve the fire, they're going to the fire. I'm not going to answer that part of your dua, if that's what you mean. Don't make this an excuse for me to bless him on the day of judgment. I already know you, Ibrahim. So Ibrahim Islam builds with his son, he's building the Kaaba, and then he thinks of another dua. He said, O oh, our Lord, make us true submitters and Muslimin, ومن ذريتنا أمة المسلمة. And make our, out of our offspring a Muslim Ummah. Whole nations of Muslims. What does Allah reply? He says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, oh yeah, the dua doesn't finish. And then he says, Rabbana wabaath fihim rasulan. Oh Allah, send among my children a messenger. Minhum, from among them, who will recite your words to them, and he will teach them the book and the wisdom, and he will honor them. Innaka anta al-azizul hakim. You are the most mighty, the most wise. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes quiet. He doesn't answer his dua with this one. He says, Oh Allah, make a messenger from among my people. And subhanAllah, what this verse hints to is who? Who was the messenger that was going to be? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Because who's building the Kaaba? Ibrahim and Ismail. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is from whose offspring? Ishaq or Ismail? From Ismail. So the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, nearly 4,000 years before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came out, he made that dua. When did the dua get accepted? 4,000 years later. And this is why Rasulullah told us, do not hasten the response of your Lord in your dua. The ones who hasten and then expect an immediate response are losers. They said, who's the loser, Ya Rasulullah, who hastens? says, he's the person who, can, who makes dua, 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 and then finally he says, Allah didn't accept it. And then he stops making dua. And so Allah doesn't respond to him. Never give up. Never despair. And don't expect a specific way that Allah has to answer you. You ask for something, you don't get that specific thing. Think of Allah well. 
Maybe it's not the best for you right now. I mean, imagine Allah says, if Allah answered everyone's dua, this is in the Quran, if Allah were to answer everyone's dua as they asked, they will all perish. They will perish themselves. Because we don't know what's best for us. How many times have you wished for something later on you thought, oh my God, good thing I didn't get that. Good thing I didn't go that way. There you go. Brothers and sisters, so as they were building the Kaaba, they built it out of normal rock from the desert and there was no clay. They just put it on top and they tried to make it balanced. Because of that, it was getting unbalanced and Ibrahim salam had a little rock that was soft. I'm not sure if it was limestone or slate, but it was a type of rock that if you stood on it for a long time, it can actually, your, your feet can submerge in it a little bit, it can make footprints. And that's why you see till today, alhamdulillah, that rock is still there, Maqam Ibrahim in Mecca in Hajj. And Ibrahim Hassan's footsteps are still, so they're marked in there, they're engraved in there. So it's a type of rock that still exists till today, where, you can, where they're easy, you can, I think they're mixed with clay or something. Probably, probably one of the, um, it could be a slate, it's a combination of volcanic uh, ashes and clay. So my brothers and sisters, he used to stand on that rock so he can stand high and look at the Kaaba to see if it's level. Called Maqam Ibrahim, the station of Ibrahim. And he would go back and level it until it was really high. And was, Kaaba was very, very high. Like the Kaaba that you see now is actually smaller than the original one. And then at the time of Quraysh, Mecca, the Meccan period, it was smaller even than that and then they raised it even higher. So the Quraysh even made it back to this. And the Kaaba, he built it as a rectangle, not a square, not a cube. And it was made out of two rooms. One room was for Ismail, alayhi salam. He used to stay in there and pray, do his dhikr. It was called Hijr Ismail, like what monks do. And the other part had two doors, level with the ground. You'd enter through one and come out from the other. People used to be able to walk in and out freely. It was the Quraysh people at the time. If those of you who want to learn, go back to my Sira classes. I did about 40 classes on that. And the Quraysh people, they're the ones who lifted the door up and closed the other side. Like if you lifted the sitar, the, the cover of, that's on top of the Kaaba right now, you can see on the other side, there's still the clay around what used to be a door. Anyway, that's the Kaaba. And then over time became a cube, and that's why you have that semicircle. That's where the room of Ismail salam, used to be. That's why it's called Hijr Ismail. So if you actually pray inside that semicircle, you can pray in any direction. Because all of it's the Qibla, you're inside the Kaaba. So where's the only place in the world that you can pray in any direction you want? Inside the Kaaba. Or in the Hajar Ismail. Or on its roof. Alright. As they were building it, there was a little corner that was empty. And Ibrahim alayhi salam, he says to his son Ismail, get me an extra rock. And Ismail said, Ya Father, Dad, I'm, I've gotten too tired. He goes, no, get up. No, no room for tiredness right now. So he shows you. He was also a human being. gets tired. As he was going, he came back and he found that he placed, now this is where the narrations differ, either a black rock or a white rock. He says, where'd you get this rock from? He said, the one who never gets tired of effort. Always puts effort. Got me it. It was Jibreel alayhi salam. A rock from Jannah, from heaven. Allahu A'lam was white or black, narrations differ, we talked about it in the seerah. But anyway, it was, we call it Al-Hajar Al-Aswad, the black rock. 
which we know about today. And there's a huge history about the black rock. We don't have time to go through it now, but that was the special black rock that came down from Jannah. And it is the corner there that people kiss today and they wave to it. Just want to make a quick point for those of you who go to Hajj. Don't worry about everyone else, but at least you guys and people who are listening. Brothers and sisters, if you go to Hajj, please, or Umrah, don't be like everyone else, rushing to the black rock, poking people, tripping people, harming people, just to kiss the rock. There is nothing special about kissing it except one thing. You're just doing a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that he did. And the Prophet ﷺ, he kissed it once and the companions did it, but not all the companions kept doing it. Umar ibn Khattab said, I know that you are just a rock, but I'm just kissing because the Prophet ﷺ kissed you. And the Prophet ﷺ said that if you can't get to it, then wave to it. The sanctity of the humans, of the, of the sanctity of the human is more precious of the Muslim who is in the Hajj, the human is more precious than the rock or the Kaaba or even the place where it is or the entire city. Prophet said that in the last farewell pilgrimage. He said, to another Muslim is more sacred than this month of mine, Dhul Hijjah, in this sacred land, Mecca, in this holy month, in this sacred land where he is staying, than the Kaaba itself. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Maybe we'll have a little bit more time. Then Ismail salam, they made dua and Ibrahim salam, Ismail said, Oh Allah, make the hearts of people all around the world love this place, love this Kaaba, to come to it. And subhanAllah, throughout the, the ages, Jews, Jews always believed in the sanctity of the Kaaba. It was just that when Muhammad came in, they changed it. Christians have the sanctity of the Kaaba. They call it Bakka. Till today, people still use the word. Oh, it's a Mecca of, of a place, meaning everybody goes there. Historians say that, anthropologists, they know. Every, even idolaters, the pagans, all of them respected the Kaaba till today. And that's from the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam, oh Allah, make it a place of security, comfort, belief, make the hearts of the people. And Allah says, وَأَذِّمْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ Oh Ibrahim, get up and call the people to it. After he finished building it, he got up on a hill and Allah says to him, now call the people. What do you mean call the people? It's the middle of the desert. 4,000 years ago, he's got a call to the whole world to come to the Kaaba. And in hadith it says that Ibrahim said, Oh Allah, I'm just one man. How can everybody hear me? And Allah says, don't worry. You just call out and we will inform them. Allah will inform the people and truly he said come to the house of Allah come to the house of Allah we also have in our adhan hayya ala salah hayya ala falah come to prayer come to success same with the house of Allah and truly my brothers and sisters as you can see no one needs to prove this miracle it's before your eyes the hajj nowhere in the entire universe do you see this millions of people go every year not a single second since Hajj, since the Kaaba was built, not a single second or a minute. Maybe I'm exaggerating. At least, at least, from the time of Quraysh till now, 2,000 years at least, it has never been empty of a single person circumambulating or praying around the Kaaba. Ever. There's even a time, because there used to be floods, it still happens floods there sometimes. 
there is a pic, there was at the time of the Tabi, one of the Sahabas who lived at the time of the Tabi, he's the next generation of the Prophet and there was a flood around the Kaaba and people couldn't walk around. And this Sahabi, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Abu Dhar or another Sahabi, he swam around it. He swam, he did his tawaf swimming until it went down. And it's always had people in there. Night, day, midnight, anytime. Never empty, always circumambulating. Anti-clockwise. Just like the earth, rotating anti-clockwise. Our solar system, rotating anti-clockwise. Except for Mercury, it goes clockwise. The sun around itself, anti-clockwise. Whole galaxy, the Milky Way. Allah knows best what is the secret in that. But at least it teaches us about the meaning of monotheism. Allah is one. Look how all this order is happening in harmony. There is an order and a, mathem a mathematics to it. That's why physicians couldn't study the stars and solar system without mathematicians. Everything has an order. And this proves the existence of a creator, Allah. My brothers and sisters in Islam, without going further into it, you will know the story of the Kaaba and Mecca and the Hajj and the pilgrimage and the honor. Ismail lived on and died in Mecca. Ibrahim returns and he dies in Palestine at the age of about 170 to 180 years old. He was buried in Palestine, in Palestine. Most of the prophets are buried in Jerusalem, Palestine, around that area. Now we've got Lut and time has run out. I would prefer to leave the story of Lut till next class because it's not a simple topic. I need to address some important issues about that story, but I will reserve it now. I won't say anything about it, inshallah, next week. Even I did so much research about it today, subhanAllah, I get carried away. And inshallah, next week, we will talk about Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah and the Dead Sea, inshallah ta'ala. Now, there's five minutes because we started a little bit late today. Are there any questions from anybody, any elaborations that you need or anything that you felt you need to uh, need clarification from today? Even if you have other questions, if I know the answer to them, I'll answer them. If not, I'll go and research and come back inshallah with the answers. Some brothers were asking and sisters were asking if we can ask questions. So here's your five minutes. Everybody's staring at me and I'm starting to think you guys were just tricking me. Elaborate further, the brother is saying about his trips to Makkah. But there's not much more than what I said. Yeah, that's all. We don't know much about his trips. There's actually not much recorded, authentically recorded. You'll find a lot of recorded stuff about Ibrahim going from Palestine to Makkah frequently in the biblical texts right but that's it just basically Ibrahim السلام, used to visit his wife and son he didn't leave them alone to check on them and to see how they are and their religion and their deen and every prophet had Prophet Muhammad told us in the, in the Sahih Hadith every prophet used the Burak to travel in including of course Muhammad is is the most famous to use in the Burak. It's in the long hadith, in, in, the, in the beginning chapters of Sahih Muslim, uh, in, in the third volume, 
there's like maybe 30 pages just about Isra wal Ma'raj and in Bukhari, similar story. And all the six books of, of authentic hadith, the story of Isra wal Ma'raj is there. And all of them mention about the Buraq and the, the vehicle that Muhammad rode in. And he said that this is the vehicle of all the prophets. They used to ride on his Buraq. For those of you who want to learn more about it, you go back to my classes about the Sira, where the Buraq, uh, how, how quick it travels. Allahu alam, but it says that as far as it could see. It sees a place, just takes one step, it reaches it, it flies. Is it the speed of light? I don't know. Is it the speed of sound? Is it uh, that we don't know? Allahu alam. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. But he's to travel back and forth. You can tell if he went every two weeks or so, according to the biblical narrations, then it would say that he was traveling very quickly from Palestine to, to Saudi today, Mecca. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You realize I haven't used the word Israel, correct? Yeah? I haven't used the word Israel because there was no such thing as Israel. Right? Until the Balfour Declaration, 1940. What what? 1917, but then when it became established as an Israeli state um, to some of the other... Yeah. But anyway, that's another story. However, it was always called Philistine. Or Al-Aqsa. Al-Aqsa. In the Quran, it's called Al-Aqsa as well, the furthest, the far place. 